I'm Lucy. And I'm Linnea. And you're listening to First Impressionists, where we talk about all things art. Season three, nope, season two, <laughs> <laughs> has been a little bit irregular, um, but I'm glad we're back, Linnea. Yeah, me too. It's like really dark and kind of cold outside and wintry, so it feels good to just be in your house with a cup of tea and a candle. It does. Talking about art. Yes, yes, definitely. A great indoor activity. Mm-hmm intellectually stimulating mm-hmm. yes i hope that if you're listening you are in a cozy place and you have a cup of tea or you're driving yeah that works too or hopefully your car is cozy and your heat works yeah Amen. i don't think the heat works very well in either of our cars no. so hopefully you're better <laughs> off than we are mm-hmm. <laughs> well lucy um i'm excited about today's episode because i feel like it's a little overdue like we've touched on it a lot but we haven't gotten to the heart of the issue. Yes, I agree. I think this is um, something that is very important to talk about, especially as two women mm-hmm. with an art podcast. It's, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely something we should have gotten to eventually. So I'm glad mm, we're better late than never. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we put it off because it's uh, a little bit frightening. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Not frightening. It's just a. Uh, I don't know the word for it. It's a little unsettling. I yes, guess. that's a good word. Yes, for sure. So today we're talking about the male gaze. Yes, G A Z E gaze. Not in yes. What you're looking at. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully you saw that in the title of the episode. But just in case you skimmed right. Just past in case it. Linnea misspelled it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hilarious. Uh, yes. Yeah, I think this is going to be an interesting week. I'm excited to dive into this. Yeah. Um, so, basically, I'm going to just do a very one-sentence summary, is we're going to be talking about how women, especially, are portrayed in art. Yes. So, Lucy, I'm wondering if you have, like, certain works of art that come to mind when you're thinking of women. Okay, so a few come to mind. Um, I don't know why these are the ones that stand out in my brain. Um, maybe I sort of have a preoccupation with mythology or something. <laughs> oh. um, okay, correct me if I pronounce this wrong. Is it the Venus de Mio or Venus de Milo? I don't know how to say it. I do not know, but I think de Milo, de Milo, de Mio sounds m- smarter. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah. Venus de Mio by Alexandros of Antioch. Um, this is a very famous sculpture of a woman. She's missing both of her arms, oh, which yeah. has captured audiences for many years. Um, I think this is often used as a classic example of the female form. Um, and 
It pops up in pop culture all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's referenced all the time. Um, So that was one of them that came to mind. Um, Let's see. I believe last episode we were talking about Artemisia Gentileschi. Mm -hmm. Either last episode or the one before. It was. I think it was last one. I think so. (laughs) Um, The painting Judith and Holofernes always comes to mind for me. I spent quite a bit of time looking at that one. So, um, and I think it's a really interesting painting as when it comes to its portrayal of women. Um, Mm -hmm. So that one comes to mind. And then the last one that came to mind is called, I believe, The Accolade by Edmund Blair Layton. And this is a painting of Guinevere knighting Lancelot. Um, King Arthur is one of my favorite topics. So I love this painting. Um, And when I think of women in paintings, this is one that I think about a lot. This is kind of like... I th- well, because, I mean, you guys can probably guess we're going to be talking a little bit about, like, women being portrayed, not negatively, but, like... With less agency. Yeah. Yes. And this painting is like, whoa, woman power move. Yeah, like, it's kind of a role reversal. Yeah. She's definitely the one in power. She's physically higher on the stairs. I believe Lancelot is kneeling down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got a sword yeah. right by his head. Yeah. Um, and, and, she's, and she's the one bestowing an honor upon him. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's super cool. I'm glad we're starting the episode with some like, <laughs> high notes here. Yes. <laughs> Me too. Uh, those are really good. What um, about you? What do you think of? I thought when I thought of this question, the first one I thought of was the girl with the pearl earring, which mm-hmm. is Vermeer, and it's just like a woman's face, and she's like got a cool turbany thing on. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know. I think it's just a beautiful painting. Yeah, and and maybe it's like that's kind of how the Venus de Mio is for me. Mm. It's just so saturated. You see it a lot. Mm-hmm. It's referenced a lot. Even if you have no idea what it's actually called, you've probably seen it before. Yeah. And so it's just kind of one of those things in the back of my mind that just like subconsciously <laughs> triggers when I think about yes. women being portrayed in art. So. Yes, definitely. Um, and then the next one that came to my mind was um, The Birth of Venus Botticelli. Uh, classic. Classic. Um, there's probably, again, this is a saturation thing because my mom had an umbrella of that. Oh, interesting. So, yes. She's a pretty confident woman. She can just walk down the street with another naked woman <laughs> on her umbrella. <laughs> and then uh, also, like, it's another, like, pretty famous painting. And this, again, is, like, another, you know, mythology thing. I think there's, like, yes. there's so Venus, many. so common. Yeah. And she's never yeah. closed. I yeah, we'll is get there into a single it later. But she's, Venus? No. I mean, she's the ultimate example of female sexuality, mm-hmm. which is a major theme in art. <laughs> so, yes, true facts. Yeah. And then the last thing I thought of, which was actually just now, um, I think because we're like getting into a little bit of a feminist conversation, was uh, Frida. I was like, why didn't I think of Frida? Oh, yeah. So, like, <laughs> I the... wish I'd thought. <laughs> I know. It took a while. Oof. 
Oops. <laughs> but like the two Fridas, I really love that painting because it's all about like identity. Yes. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we should probably back up and define what the male gaze is before we get any yes. further. Yeah. Oh man, this one's tricky. This might be like one of the most psychological and technical things we've tried to define on the show so uh yeah bear with us a little bit but i think if i had to summarize it um i don't know maybe i'd say like the male gaze is a way of talking about like how women are portrayed from a male perspective in like art and media Mm mm-hmm and how that can sometimes um, like represent women in very two-dimensional ways. Mm-hmm. Usually, I think we think of that like it presents them just as sexual objects, which is true. But I think it can also portray them in other two-dimensional ways, yes. which we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think... Um a major point of the male gaze is that women are not equal actors in the world Hmm. or that their agency is reduced to be more of an object than a full person with agency and their own desires. It's really um, women are becoming quite literally an object of Hmm. man's desire. Um, And this happens in all forms of creative media. It happens in classical art, which is what we'll mostly talk about today. But um, I believe this concept actually came from film originally. Yeah, I think so. Um, It's very easy to see this playing out in film. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy to see. You're right. It's easy for us to see in film. I think we've all watched a movie where we're like, that female character was definitely written by a man. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yep. (laughs) So um, this concept in film of the male gaze, there's like three perspectives. So there's the perspective of the man creating the thing, so the man behind the camera, the perspective of the man... um, the other characters in the story like how they interact with women and then the perspective of men consuming the uh media Hmm. so the same kind of goes for art so you have the perspective of the painter um and then how other like characters in whatever work of art are interacting with women right and then also the perspective of the spectator, the person who's like seeing and consuming the art. Hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay, not to just throw you state like straight in the ringer, Linnea, but um, I don't know. As you were talking about that, I, I'm kind of thinking of this whole idea, especially in Hollywood, of like sex cells, basically, mm-hmm. and how more often than than not that responsibility of like being the sex Mm. ends up falling on women yeah um and 
man, I don't know. I'm just wondering why that has lasted so long. Um, mm. It's just such a prevailing narrative. Like, if you go back to some of the earliest pieces of art, it's already there. Women's sexuality. Like, yeah. there are tiny statues of women where their womanly features are very exaggerated. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's always a negative thing. I think sometimes it can be a way to express um, even the value of women, like the incredible, I don't know, power that they have to have children mm-hmm. um, and, you know, carry babies inside of them. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think a lot of cultures have done a good job of celebrating that. But then it has turned into this cycle where women are only valued for that or they're valued for I don't for uh I don't know their their chastity or mm-hmm. um yeah I don't know if we want to go down that rabbit hole yet but um yeah I don't know it's just interesting to me all of the connections between film and art and how women are portrayed yeah it's super interesting and I think for a long time like men were the main with art more than film because art has a much longer history mm-hmm. men were the main producers and consumers of art yeah and, that's true um, so certainly that must have dictated a lot yeah and who knows I don't know because I'm not an anthropologist but maybe like the fact that that pattern existed so far back with like more classical art has influenced now what we have in film mm. like you were saying that women are still the ones who are used more right yeah that's so interesting um i don't know even thinking about like botticelli and different depictions mm-hmm. of venus and how that standard of beauty that we set so long ago Mm -hmm. still has such a profound effect on us Mm -hmm. and what female beauty is and what female sexuality is Mm -hmm. um and obviously trends change over time people think that different body types are beautiful at particular periods of of history but it's undeniable that these classical examples of female beauty are still revered and still referenced all the time and we still call back to those early examples of it um and so i think i don't know as as long as we keep uplifting i I don't they're beautiful paintings i have nothing wrong yeah there's nothing wrong with like the paintings themselves and i'm Mm -mm. certainly not of the opinion that even if there are negative aspects to things created in the past that we shouldn't just get rid of them Mm -hmm. um but unless we start changing that standard it's going to contain the same forever yeah that's so true Hmm. (laughs) well should we talk about some paintings yes just as a way to kind of like put some meat on these bones yes let's do where would we like to start? Um, let's. I think let's let's start with 
another Venus because it's probably one that's very recognizable. I'll just go through this little list that I have because it goes in chronological order. Sounds good. So this, um, I have three paintings that I kind of thought about um, when I was preparing for this episode. And the first one is from 1504 and it's Titian's Venus Everbino. And I don't have a ton to say about this, but just like, I don't know. I think this image is basically like 15th or 16th century porn. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> I think it was even sold to like the guy whose mistress that was or something. Uh. Or no, maybe his wife. But because the what I read about this painting is like basically um, she is preparing for like a wedding party um so like the maids are you know that's what the maid in the background is holding is like her dress and then the roses that she's holding have like i think a significance with maybe like fertility and then the dog on the bed is supposed to like symbolize um fidelity like marital fidelity it's mm. kind of an interesting concept um yeah especially if this is someone's <laughs> mistress i don't know i it might be his wife Okay. Regardless. Well, yeah. It's a nude painting of a woman in his life that yes. an artist did for him. Um, and it's pretty... Yeah. There's not much more to yeah. say about it except she's... I don't know. To me, like, there's no... I mean, yes, it's a beautiful painting, but it doesn't have, like, a mythological or, like, metaphorical significance like some of the other things we talked about, like... Botticelli's mm -hmm. Venus, where it's like telling a story. This is mm -hmm. not really telling a story. Yeah. I agree. So much um, to me. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really feel empowering in the sense that uh, this woman, it, I don't know, has power over the person painting it aside from She's a beautiful woman. Yeah. Um, Anyways, there's not a lot to say, except that I just really think this is like, I don't know. I think that it's helpful to kind of like go back in time and see like this is, you know, the art that was being created. Right. It's no wonder that this is where we are right now, today. Um, and um, yeah, so the next painting I wanted to talk about um, is... Fast forward to 1863. This is Luncheon on the Grass by Edward Manet. And this painting is so interesting. Um, he, so it's like immediately to me, very unsettling. It's just a weird image because there's two men who are fully clothed and then like one woman in the background who's like not really fully clothed. And then one woman in the foreground who's like very much not wearing any clothes. Yeah. Um, but what's strange about it is um, uh, is that um, like it's a normal everyday scene. So what Edward Manet was kind of like reacting against was this um, thing of like only portraying like scenes of the past. Like that was kind of what the art of his day was doing was like these very like classical mythological scenes 
and this painting is um, based really closely on another painting that I'm trying to remember the name of. Um, it's Paris something. But he's using a painting of an of like a mythological, like classical piece of art, and um, he's taking it and putting it in modern day Paris. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, okay, it's called the Pastoral Concert is the one that it's based on. So in the Pastoral Concert, it's the same thing. There's like two fully clothed men, and then there's like a naked woman. Um, so I think another thing that's really interesting about this painting is that the chick is like, it's kind of startling the way that she's like looking back at you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just feels so imbalanced. Um, it definitely, I think, points out a difference in power. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's so unsettling the way the woman is looking at you, I'm interpreting it as a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I would certainly be uncomfortable. Um, sorry. Um, I'm looking at the painting on Google, and if you just Google lunch on the grass and look at images, there's another version that someone made uh, where both of the the women are fully clothed and the two men are naked, <laughs> and it's great. That's <laughs> pretty great. Um, I think what's interesting about this to me, and I'm not really sure if this is like his intention, but so he takes this other painting, um, the pastoral concert, which is like everyone's wearing like the men are wearing kind of Renaissance era clothes, and they're like in this beautiful like field and you can see the horizon and stuff and like the women are very beautiful um and the woman the n nude woman in that one is not looking at you and this was like celebrated like whoa this is amazing art whatever when mm. he was painting and then he takes that and he takes the exact same thing like in terms of characters but he puts it in them in modern day clothes and he has the woman looking at you and it like it's so, I don't know, to me it's, I don't, like I said, I don't know if this was his intention, but it makes you realize, like, oh, we're okay with it when it's, like, dressed up and made beautiful, but then, like, when this is the reality, like, mm. of this power dynamic, it's really unsettling to see two men fully clothed and then a woman just, like, naked sitting there. Yeah. Um... So, I don't know. I think it's super interesting. And that kind of takes me to the last one that I wanted to talk about, which is a name I cannot pronounce. Lucy? Um, Le <laughs> <laughs> uh, Demoiselle d'Avignon. Ooh, that was good. Uh, this is a Picasso from 1904, and it's very recognizable to most people, I think. It's... Um, how many women are in there? One, two, three, uh, five. five women with um, mask-like faces and like very disjointed looking bodies. And they're all also naked. Um, so what I think the reason I was thinking about this painting is um, 
we talk a lot on the podcast about like art being kind of like a, a language that you learn to speak and obviously women and women's sexuality and the female body are like ways of speaking this language that people have used for a long time mm. they've used it to like tell a story or to just maybe just sell the painting in the case of the Venus of Urbino right. um, to like attract us to the painting um, mm. I think in Manet's case maybe to unsettle us a little bit um, and I think in this painting Picasso is using it to disturb us Mm. and that is something that I think is I don't know um, kind of like one of the most unsettling things to me about the um, male gaze is that I feel like it weaponizes female sexuality Mm. to like be something unsettling and disturbing and maybe even like evil you know Mm. like and it's I don't know it's upsetting when it's something that's used to like attract and um make yeah make the painting more attractive and then Mm. it can also be like twisted so much that it's used as something to like really disturb the person who's looking at the painting right right does that make any sense yeah yeah i think so um i think unfortunately many many things about women are boiled down to a very base form and used as a means of communication rather than being used to empower women about Mm -hmm. those things about themselves um we've like just touched on how art often portrays women as either Mm saint-like or for being like pure sexuality um and personally i feel like both of those things are perfectly fine and can be very beautiful i mean sexuality is part of human nature and female sexuality is part of human nature and in the right context that God created, I think is wonderful and to be celebrated. But um, in the context of many of these pieces of art, it is um, very like dehumanizing or mm-hmm. objectifying. Yeah. And then the same thing with going the opposite way. So comparing women to the Virgin Mary and being saint-like is either celebrated or um, it can be uh, very like prudish and um, like looked down upon for holding to certain beliefs like that mm-hmm. um, not just in art but in many forms of culture and expression um, and so I think both of those things are can be like very wonderful things to be celebrated but they're not being celebrated they're just um, sort of being held up as examples of what men think that they should be or men desiring women because they are that way Hmm. um and yeah i don't know it's 
it's a complicated issue. I think this is not an across-the-board thing. Mm -hmm. I think there are probably plenty of paintings out there, um, especially modern paintings that maybe are more empowering or at least more complex than that. Um, yeah. I feel like I, I kind of got away from what you were talking about. But no, but that was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, this Picasso one is super interesting to me. I don't really know how I feel about it, but I don't like it. <laughs> don't, don't like it. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to I, also I say. I may also be judging it based on how I feel about Picasso. Right, and how exactly. I know exactly, women. exactly. So I don't really trust his perspective of women. No. And I don't really want to look at women through his lens. No. So. Definitely not. Don't want to see. No, 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 no. Yeah. Don't want to see women through Picasso's eyes. But unfortunately, you are right yeah. now. Yes. And many people want to and um this is a very famous piece of art that has been looked at and dissected many 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 times i'm sure um which is fine there's nothing wrong with discussing it but um it does make me a little bit sad that pieces of art like this are some of the most celebrated depictions of women out mm, there yeah Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I thought of a few paintings to share as well that we can look at real quick. Please then, do. Uh, find a way to wrap up this discussion. Oh, yeah. I don't know. We got it. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, the first one is called Nude Girl on a Panther Skin. Um, and this one Blech. is fairly similar to the Venus of Urbino. Um it's definitely like a callback, like yeah, but it's it's very unsettling. Um, the pose is very similar. Uh, it's just a woman completely sprawled out naked on a bed. Um, her face looks bored and disinterested almost. Um, but clearly she is just there posing um, under the male gaze um but what i think is interesting about this one is there's almost like a double male gaze situation happening so um we've got the perspective of the viewer mm -hmm. and then if you look in the background there is also this sort of shadowy image of this like man peering through the window looking at her from behind who i'm fairly certain she does not know he is there. Um, so she is being objectified by someone she is aware of and also someone she's not aware of. Ooh. Um, which I guess is also us as the viewer. <laughs> she probably is not aware of us. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just super unsettling. Um, I feel really bad for this woman. I would not want to be in her position. And... Um, I think this is kind of a good example of how the male gaze can make women feel um, when they encounter it because she is maybe feeling uh, 
many things that are not being portrayed and she is also being objectified in ways that she doesn't even realize Mm. um yeah that was the first one i don't know if you wanted to add anything to it yeah um it's not fun to look at and i think yeah you're right it kind of has all three levels of the male gaze that we were talking about like the artist who painted it Mm -hmm. um and then the spectator but then also he decided that he needed to add this extra spooky man in the background so you see you know the perspective of another male character in within the painting also does the man in the back kind of look like liam neeson to you oh it's a little bit unfortunate i'm sorry to draw that comparison but I just I really don't like this painting, Lucy. <laughs> I don't I either. wish it had never happened. Yeah, uh, I really hope no one out there likes this painting, but... You can buy a print well, of it. Like, yeah. You know how you can buy... If you do... Do not. Don't buy a print of it. But tell us why you like it, maybe. I don't know. <sighs> okay, let's move on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the next one is called Ophelia, and it's by Sir John Everett Millay. And I really think this is an interesting painting. Um, it's not overtly sexualizing Ophelia, but I wanted to bring it up because Ophelia, as a character trope and um, as a very famous female in literature, is, I think, a very good example of the male gaze. Um, Sophia. Hamlet. Oh, is from Hamlet. For uh, those of us yes. not English majors, in Um So yes, Ophelia is from Hamlet. She is Hamlet's love interest, Ooh. who goes crazy and drowns herself in the river. Oh and, no! Um, I just I think she is so often portrayed from the perspective of Hamlet in the play Hmm. um, that she is like just constantly undervalued and they make her as uncomplicated as possible she goes crazy because she's a woman or because uh, Hamlet doesn't love her or it, it, it just so often simplifies her story to the point of She's just this pretty girl who went crazy, and then she looked so beautiful when she died in the river. Mm. And it's really disappointing. Um, And I, there are many feminist writers out there who have written all about this uh, and explained it a lot better than I can explain. But, um, yeah, I think she's just a really interesting example of that. And there are so many paintings of... Ophelia out there um, as well as different interpretations of her on the stage as well Mm. Um, but luckily Shakespeare leaves enough to the interpretation that I think it's possible to sort of uh, reclaim her story a little bit and make Mm. it more interesting so if you're interested in Shakespeare look into that Um, and then the last artist I wanted to talk about is John William Waterhouse. 
So I don't have a specific painting to talk about. Um, one of the ones I've talked about before is the Lady of Shalott, but he portrays a lot of famous women from mythology and for the most part they're um, fully clothed, but not all of them. But um, I think pretty much all of his paintings are just these beautiful women who are objects of desire mm. in some way or another. And his paintings are beautiful. Yeah. But it's also discouraging that he takes all of these famous women from mythology and just reduces them to their beauty. And that's their value. Um, mm. And so I think this is just another way that the male gaze kind of works in classical art. It doesn't just have to be about sexuality. It can also just be sort of reducing women to the object of man's desire, however that works. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have for specific paintings. Mm. Um, I'm glad you brought both these up yeah. because I think it's important. Like the Ophelia one, like like we were saying at the beginning, um, the male gaze like often two dimensionalizes women, mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily just as sexual objects. Like, right in Ophelia's case, maybe it's more of like an emotion driven to the extreme woman who has no nuance. Yes. Um, and with um, John William Waterhouse. You know, I think it's also important to realize that women can be sexualized without necessarily having to be naked. Yes, this is true. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, one question that people may be thinking about is, if there's a male gaze, is there a female gaze? Is there a female gaze? Well, it's up for debate, Linnea. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> as usual, we don't have a solid answer for this. But I do have some thoughts about it. Please um, share. So, a lot of people say the female gaze just doesn't exist, which would essentially be the male gaze, except it's a role reversal. So, right. the woman simply sees a man as an object of her desire, rather than um, him having his own agency and making his own meaning, meaning rather than just bearing meaning for the woman. Um, so I think, personally, it is possible that there is a female gaze. I can't think of a specific example of it, but I am sure there are times where women have simply objectified men mm -hmm. and portrayed them as objects of desire. Um, I think to categorically rule that out and say for the sake of feminist theory that that's not possible, um, I don't think is quite correct, but I don't think it happens nearly as often. Mm. And perhaps the intention is a little bit different. Mm. Um, so one different way that people have approached the female gaze is talking about kind of this difference of intention. So one of the examples I saw, which I will try to explain comprehensibly, okay. but 
Um, one of the examples is Pride and Prejudice, which is everyone's favorite example to talk about when it comes to women, because women love Mr. Darcy. Um, so one person could argue that Mr. Darcy is simply the object of women's desire. That's why so many women love Pride and Prejudice. Mm. They search for their Mr. Darcy um, and try to find this perfect male figure to uh, change their life and sweep them off their feet, etc. Um, but the argument that I saw is Mr. Darcy, at least for the most part, I mean, there's that one scene where he like jumps in the lake and then he has like the wet shirt. Does that happen in the book even? I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I kind of doubt it. I have a feeling they just added that. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's that scene. That maybe is just the female gaze, but. Um, <laughs> um, but. The argument that I saw that I think is fairly compelling um, is that Mr. Darcy is not simply an object of Elizabeth's desire. He is an example of how women wish to be desired by men. Oh. So I thought that was intriguing. Oh. And I feel like... This is not where I thought this woman, was going. And it kind of makes sense. I was like ready to argue. <laughs> <laughs> huh. So it's less about um, creating this version of something for you to desire and more expressing this is how I want someone to desire me. Hmm. So I don't know. I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. And I feel like as a woman, maybe that aligns more to how I would view Pride and Prejudice or any other male figure that I have liked I don't know. It's funny though because I think I okay, I need to think more about this. Yes. Because <laughs> I fair. really am interested in this thought. But it's funny because I think so much of the book is him like bungling it. Yeah. Like but making I the think worst that proposal is why ever. Why the argument works. Because he's not just simply this perfect person. Oh, who, he's not like two dimensional. Um, he yes, messes up he's but complex. He, yeah. And he's not perfect. But in the end, he still desires her. And that is what the female readers or... Yeah, that's what I think maybe they relate to and, and sort of attach. Whoa. Yeah. This is blowing my mind a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. I didn't think of any of it, so I don't get any credit. <laughs> but um, hmm. Yeah, so those are the thoughts that I have on the female gaze. It may or may not exist. I have a feeling... It comes with a different motivation than it does for men. Hmm. Um, I don't want to completely dismiss it because I don't think that's really fair. And I think there are plenty of portrayals of men that are also damaging and hmm. um, create low self-esteem for men hmm. and sort of an impossible image for them to live up to. Hmm. However... I do think it happens a lot more for women and has for a very long time. True. So. Also, um, I think whenever we talk about stuff like this, we have to consider where do we want to go from here? Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to just complain right. about the way things are and have been. 
But also, I think it's important to have intention with like, okay, well, what is next? Because we also don't want to go in the opposite direction, like you were saying. True. We don't want to create more dehumanizing things, but just dehumanizing to another group of people. Yes. So, um, I maybe, yeah, like moving away from the male gaze instead of thinking about, well, it's time for the female gaze to <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, rise up. Maybe instead it's time to like think about how to create more humanizing art in general. Yes. Which I don't know. I think a lot of modern art does that. Yeah, and is really about rehumanizing mm-hmm. all kinds of people. Yeah. So. Yeah, I agree. I think they're... I think in general, art is moving in a positive direction, and it's important to talk about these things, but I think this is something that a lot of people have picked up on Mm -hmm. and are recognizing Mm -hmm. and um, actually making changes in the way that they create art. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, so, I don't know, do you have any more closing thoughts? Hmm. I would say I'm just glad we talked about this because on this show we talk about every type of art from every time period and this is something that I think is just important to recognize um, and it's something that kind of has been like working beneath beneath the surface Um, and yeah, I think I think it's just good to talk about it, but like I said before, I think there are a lot of positive changes that have been made. Yes. And even like the men that I know, my fiance and my male friends and the husbands of my other friends, teachers, coworkers, um I think in general they are much more aware of this than previous generations Mm -hmm. and I think truly the world is working in a positive direction so yeah that's so good I love that um yeah I don't I love that you said that because I really didn't want this to end on a depressing note (laughs) I was like this has got to end on a good note because I feel like so many I don't know it bothers me when feminist conversations don't are like just sad. Yes. Because that's not what we want to have happen. Yeah. Um, feminism should be fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like, no action has ever come out of just pessimism. So, um, I really loved this quote that you shared earlier, uh, before we hit record mm-hmm. about the male gaze from Laura Mulvey. Mm-hmm who popularized this theory and she said in the world of the male gaze women are bearers of meaning not makers of meaning so my like call to action is (laughs) let's be makers of meaning go make some stuff and like create yes the identity that you want the world to see when they see you you don't have to be um limited by the identity that the world tries to place on you you can you know yeah and that's men and women everyone out there 
be makers of meaning. Yes. That is the best wrap up <laughs> in podcast history. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's good to be back. Yeah. Um, I don't know what we'll review next time, but it'll be good. Keep an eye out. It's going to be great. Keep an ear out. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.